Hello, and you are listening to the Fruitless Pursuits cast, episode three. This is the podcast where we talk about all the pop culture awesomeness that happened during the week on Fruitless Pursuits. My name is Luke. And I'm Suzanne. And I'm Mike. It's just the three of us today. Yes, very sad and lonely. It is. No one loves us. We are uh, adrift. I'm sure they're all doing very important things elsewhere. Going fetal, crying. Wishing they were here. Yeah. All the important things. Um, But look, just because uh, we've been abandoned tonight doesn't mean that we can't have a great show between the three of us. There's still a lot of interesting things to talk about. Um, A lot of things people are probably sick of hearing us talk about, like uh, the DC reboot. I'm sick of the DC reboot. I'm glad this was the last week of it. I'm waiting for some issue twos, but uh, we'll see what happens. It has kind of taken over the internet in a way, and uh, I have felt the enthusiasm wane, um, even for myself, as the, the new books come out. Um, a lot of that initial push seems to have been lost. Uh, what did you think of that last batch? There was some good stuff. I'm still, I'm still not happy with Superman. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned it on the last one. They've taken the idea that the idea of Superman, which is somebody who is who always does the right thing, no matter what, because it's the right thing, and is an ideal for people to to hold up. And they've just completely shit on it. But do you think so? Like, I mean, I, I felt it more like they're going back to those roots and I mean if you look at Action Comics number one the original one he was a total dick like he was um, kicking in doors threatening them with physical harm and he was really sort of looking out for the little guy I was reading somewhere that you know he was actually more like you know beating up wife beaters looking out for the little guy that sort of thing and then the corporate puppeteers said you know hey let's uh, stop this and then he became more of a uh, kind of noble noble yeah Creature. character yeah that happened you know in wartime they, it's really kind of when they did that they did a lot with Batman on that too where it was uh, uh, let's get people to buy bonds and you know Batman they did the movie serials where he was uh, working for the government trying to find enemy agents which is about the nicest way I can say it because it was really racially insensitive now <laughs> um, but uh, and- interesting because I mean I think super, super Superman pretty much stayed in that setting after the war died down, and Batman very much didn't. Batman started, he actually shot people. I mean, you know, it all adapts, and it doesn't necessarily need to be where it was at that very beginning. I, I Yes, I understand the idea of being the social crusader, but he doesn't need to be a dick about it. Uh, he doesn't need to be bitter and cynical like all the other superheroes. Uh, you know, he's better as the big Boy Scout that everyone can look up to because everyone needs someone to look up to. And and the, it's the idea of him that makes us want to be better people because why can't there be more people like Superman that should be something that we all can have something to aspire to, but it's uh, nobody cares anymore. But for me, it's refreshing because we've just gone from the Boy Scout Superman and he's got room to grow. I mean, all these changes, any of them in any of the books, DC can um, throw in a crisis at any moment and just revert everything back to however they want. I mean, that's not an issue. It's like when people start sort of university or college and they're full of ideas and they want to change the world and they think they can solve everything and they are kind of brash and stupid and dickish. Um, and then they find out how things really work. Yeah, and then there's that point where you go, it's not always best to be right all the time. Like, you know, I'm dealing with people and I have to step back a bit. And I wonder if there's something in there. But, I mean, my question is, Superman's appeared in a lot of these 52 books. And I'm not even really sure what his character is. Because he's changed through a lot of them. Well, I know Action Comics is supposed to be set about five years in the past. Yeah. And then uh, uh, he's been in... 
Justice League, which is supposed to be also five years in the past, but not exact, but not as far back as Action Comics. And then I, it's all. I, I'm still not real sure how the sliding timeline here actually slides. So they haven't been real forthcoming. <laughs> When you see him in something like Swamp Thing or Justice League Dark, for me, he's pretty much the traditional Superman. Even in Superman number one, I mean, he's a little bit of a dick, but nowhere near the action comics version of the dick. I mean, the only thing there is that he's getting completely sort of um, cock-blocked by that mean blonde prick who's um, <laughs> clearly, like, banging Lois Lane behind the scenes. Well, and don't forget the Perry White who looks like he's been hitting the gym pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and hips the gym. Jimmy Olsen. I do yeah. miss, see, I miss a traditional Jimmy Olsen. I miss a Silver Age Jimmy Olsen. That's where it's all happening. If I was allowed to write a DC reboot, I would love to get hold of some crazy Jimmy uh, Olsen action. Well, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, now that the now that the uh, continuity is reset, none of the old Jimmy Olsen stuff happens. So he's never had the uh, uh, Elastic Lad stuff. He's never had the Turtle Boy. None of that's happened. A, a I would robot love to see some of that come back. To smash his camera. <laughs> I'll be honest, I've never really been a huge Superman guy, but and maybe that's why some of the changes have hit me as hard as they, ha- as they have. Yeah. Because it's one of those that... I've always liked Batman, but I've always liked Batman in the context of there's this other guy over here who's all about, you know, not being mired in being a dick, which Batman kind of is. Everyone is a dick, though, in the new DCU. I mean, who do you think I know. is the... Who is the biggest dick? I, I can't decide. Probably Aquaman, but it's... He, he should be allowed to be. No, he was pretty quiet. The With the interactions that he had, even though he was kind of a dick to people that spoke to him, it was because they were complete and utter dicks to him. I you thought know, Hawk from Hawk and Dove was the biggest dick, but I reckon... Oh, see, I didn't read that one. Savage Hawkman might be even a bigger dick than Hawk. That's, yeah, maybe it's people with the word Hawk in their name. And But the two Firestorms, they are total dicks as well, especially the white guy. Well, yeah. The thing about the Firestorm... I love Gail Simone. I love Gail Simone. Uh, you know, Birds of Prey was one of my favorite books when it was coming out. Uh, Secret Six was one of the best books DC was putting out. But uh, uh, this Firestorm book just doesn't do it for me. It's one of those that, you know, let's hit that button really hard that says, we're two different people and we're going to have to learn to live together. And, you know, it's it's the odd couple over a, a racial divide. And it's, it's going to piss people off really quickly if they don't get over some of the uh, the big stuff real quick. I just, I'm not getting Gail Simone yet. I've only heard praise for her, but I, I really was shocked when I realized that she had written the book. Because I read the book at first and I thought, this is DC trying somebody out or getting an intern or something. And I don't know if it's because she's constrained by, I know it was co-plotted by somebody else. I don't know if she's constrained by um, some sort of overarching plan or something to do with the what happened to Firestorm in the past. But I really thought it was awful. I thought it was so heavy handed and it felt kind of like, you know, something written for high school students um it was like a saved by the bell high school musical kind of thing for me as i said in the after review. school special yeah yeah but then at the same time you've got this uh really graphic violence and kind of a nasty thing which is like out of a um 80s action movie or something there's a lot of torture in the new books though and it's it's really kind of icky why do you have to torture people it's very, I mean, it's I, very jarring, I think. You know, yes. It, it is. It kind of it just it kind of oscillates wildly between those two settings and there's no 
no mid-ground. And it's too yeah. easy. We're going to set up how big a, how big the stakes are by offing a few people on panel. And it just, it just and there's no sort of line drawn. I mean, you could easily do it. They're all faceless characters that we don't really know yet. We, they don't have any impact. So you've basically yeah. got, always got these strangers coming into somebody's house, um, usually a family, and doing something horrible to them. And it's a very easy way to create shock. But because you're not invested in the story at this stage and you don't know even know what the stakes are most of the time, it just... It doesn't work for me at all. It just leaves me really cold. Yeah, and one of the things about Firestorm that kind of makes me upset, especially now that I've read the Gail Simone Firestorm, uh, the only reason I was kind of okay with it is that it was her. Because who it was supposed to be was Brian Clevenger, the guy that writes Atomic Robo, which anybody who talks to me about comic books for more than 10 minutes knows that I think that's the best comic book ever to come out. And he was going to be writing Firestorm, and he actually put up what his you know first several issue plan was, and it was fantastic. It was great mad science stuff, and it was really cool, and he was working on it. He was like through the first issue when they said, eh, we're doing something else. And then they gave it to Gail Simone and Ethan Van Sciver, mm. who uh, there could not be two more different people from a viewpoint th- uh, standpoint than Gail Simone and Ethan Van Sciver. So that, that should be interesting in, in the future, just because he's like, he's about as far to the right as you can get on the American, uh, Republican, uh, issues scale. And Gail's about as far to the left as you can get. So it, it should be interesting to watch them. It, they, they kind of are the two characters from Firestorm. So um, I'm, I'm guessing we'll get a big clusterfuck that pleases nobody. <laughs> that, yeah. And there will be somebody walking off the book within the next five issues, I'm sure. I just could not, and I'm going to spoil the ending, but I, I just could not, so block your ears for a couple of seconds if you don't want to be spoiled. Oh, I've read it. Yeah, the, the idea that you've got the, a school shooting, which is handled in such a cavalier way, you know, with some of the most terrible dialogue thrown into it, Ugh. and then when the two characters become super-powered, instead of dealing with the threat, they fight they each other. They yell at each other. I just yeah. couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It's the most, and that's what I found with the Gail Simone stuff I've read so far, is that, same with Batgirl, the sense central character is so concerned and self-centered and it's all about their problems they're absolutely blind to anything that's happening around them they're like most sort of selfish yeah it's horrible well i really have a feeling that the editors at dc have had all of their power removed uh everything is being done through didio and through uh, uh jeff johns and through jim lee and if they if they want a story to be a certain way it's going to be a certain way and that's why all the stories are the same I don't think any of the editors, with the exception of maybe, you know, the Batman guys, because Batman is Batman and, you know, it sells no matter what. But uh, I, I don't think any of the editors have any power left. And, of course, nobody can talk about it, but I, that's the impression that I get just listening to some of the various things that I see people say on Twitter. Interesting. So what's your pick for your favorite book of this, this current week? Ghostbusters. But that's not a DC book. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, probably Aquaman, actually. It was good, wasn't Surprisingly it? Surprisingly enough, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I didn't, um, I, I enjoyed it, the, I didn't so much enjoy the actual, uh, threat that's building seems, you know, very disposable. Yeah. And, um, but, it looked like a scene from an American soap opera or something, like when they were kissing in front of the lighthouse or like a romance cover or something like that. Well, but, but see... The core the, at, of the book was great. And the other side of that is, yes, there was the romantic scene, but it was it was a guy and his wife doing what a guy and his wife would do less graphically than what some of the other things that happened last week were. So I, I liked Aquaman. It had more tact. Let's put it that way. It's kind of uh, a relief. I, <laughs> yes. As yeah. opposed to uh, hand relief. 
which we saw yes, in Catwoman. Yes, that, that's uh, kind of where we were going, yeah. My, uh, but, uh, my, my pick is Justice League Dark. I thought that was fantastic. I'm really intrigued I, by where that's going to go. I, I've heard good things about it. I did not pick it up. The magic books have never been ones that really appealed to me. I got Animal Man even though it's, and Swamp Thing, even though they're in that dark line. But uh, um, Because I've always liked Animal Man and Swamp Thing. But uh, by and large, the magic stuff has just never really done it for me. Well, don't be a big baby. Give it a go. <laughs> I may have to. <laughs> I may have to. And your, I have uh, to admit the... Sorry, go on. The the, uh, the book that had the silliest dialogue of the week was definitely Savage Hawkman. That was terrible. <laughs> What's oh, the line? Man. It was when, the, when the, the armor magically forms around him, you want a piece of this, come and come get it. Come get it, yeah. In a big splash page. And he's like, I'm going to whoop some tail. It's just so bad. It's a bit WWE, isn't it? It's terrible. Very, yeah. It's terrible. And it's Tony Daniel. Someone and thinks it's cool. <laughs> it's Tony Daniel, who once upon a time was a really good writer. And now, you know, and he he did Detective, and Detective wasn't bad. It was pretty standard, but it was, wasn't bad. Honestly, and I it may just be that, that he spent all his time on Detective and didn't have any time to spend on Hawkman no, or something. I don't know. it was far, far worse than Detective. And I just felt so sorry for him, like genuinely sorry <laughs> when it got to the end. And it's like that, you know, will Hawkman succumb to whatever his face was? And it was well, like, we why know would that you there's ca- an issue too. Yeah, but it'd be like, why would anyone care though? Yeah. It was like this sad assumption that someone would be invested in this conflict which was just nothing except for like some muscled loud obnoxious dickish bodies grimacing at each other it was pathetic yeah it was pretty sad fuck you Hawkman. <laughs> <laughs> but i think my least favorite book was firestorm just because it was so disappointing i mean savage Hawkman. i don't know like i don't know who that's for or, or what it is uh, it's yeah a, it's a tight race but um it's, i didn't it's, expect it's very... much from Hawkman. so but firestorm was just so sloppy and i, I just don't yeah. know who it's for Um, One thing I did think was interesting about Firestorm, if you look on the cover, he's got six dots and, uh, you know, the the big amalgam Firestorm, you know, the Voltron Firestorm. Uh, He's got six dots on his chest and two of them have something in it. I have a feeling there are four more Firestorms. You know, we know there are like the four more containers. There are four more Firestorms that will make one big Firestorm, and then all hell breaks loose or something. Maybe it'll release the the red-cloaked woman and everything will reset, and thank God. That that (laughs) does interest me. At least there is a sense that it is going to take it somewhere that hasn't been kind of trodden before. I can't imagine six dickish uh, Firestorms running around. That's going to be crazy. (laughs) And and then there'll be big Voltron Firestorm. Well, my closing comments on the whole reboot thing, I did a, um, there's a Nielsen survey going around. I I don't know if you've seen it. Um, just sort of. Surveying. I tried to get into it and it wouldn't load for me. Uh, so I did it yesterday. It doesn't actually really want people outside the US to do it. I found out towards the end because it's asking for a zip code which has more numbers than uh, mine has. But I just added a zero in front and it worked. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so we shall see. But uh, it asked for closing comments, and for me, I think ultimately the DC reboot is suffering from um, Howard the Duck syndrome, and I'm talking about the movie here, where it's just too dumb for adults, but at the same time, it's just too graphic for kids. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Did you actually call it Howard the Duck syndrome on on the form? No, I wish I had. Mm. It's a good analogy. It is. Yeah. It is that it would assume that the person reading it had actually seen Howard the Duck, which isn't always a safe bet. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't that, put real that money likelihood on that. goes up in anybody who actually might actually read our stuff. So, 
All right, well, let's put the DC reboot to bed. I'm sure we'll all be talking about the issue twos on the side anyway in the, in the coming Probably. weeks. Probably. So um, there's no real escaping it. But uh, anyway, this is a good opportunity for us to talk about it, seeing as how uh, we are two of the three people on the site, or four people as it turns out, because Strider's been reading them too, who have been following it. Uh, we'd have to get Ive on sometime and have a chat with him about it as well, because I'd love to hear his insight. Absolutely. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about TV. Sure. Clone Wars is back. That Suzanne and I watched that yesterday. Today. That yep. was pretty fun, actually. Um, it started out with me thinking that it could not possibly be less fun. <laughs> I I hate the Gungans. I hate them so much. Although it was quite nice to kind of go into that underwater kind of environment again, and um, and it is kind of nostalgic because it's it's very Phantom Menace, which is which was actually the first Star Wars movie I ever saw. So. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was like 14 when that came out. But it's all marketing. Oh, I mean, and now I feel old. <laughs> yeah, now I feel creepy. But it's all marketing. I mean, the 3D Phantom Menace is coming out next year, and we're definitely seeing a shift um, in the Clone Wars to show those episode one environments and characters and get us back into that kind of feeling and mindset. And I think they're actually doing a really good um, job with the Gungans now. I think uh, this is one of the best episodes we've seen Jar Jar in, and he had some actually sort of genuinely funny uh, moments and um, you know they the best thing they could have done uh, as a spoiler is they basically locked Jar Jar in a room with General Grievous and had the two of them sit at a table and have a conversation and that for me was just hilarious <laughs> oh wow in itself because you were just like Jar Jar was so uncomfortable and trying to get out of there and Grievous was just becoming more and more pissed off at him and you knew it was all going to explode and it was like it was quite tense it was good yeah see I've never been I, I've never really gotten into the cartoon I've always thought it looked really really good, but I've never been a huge Star Wars guy, and so I, I, I kind of blew it off at first, and then I found out, oh wait, this is actually really good, but now I've missed a bunch of it, and I so I want to go back people, and pick up DVDs, but... Yeah, a lot of people have been very dismissive of it. Um, it started off you know, had a very shaky start, but uh, they're doing some amazing things. I mean, it's breathtaking to look at now. Like, even I didn't enjoy the three-part opener, but um, it looked amazing. Uh, they're doing some really incredible things with animation, especially television animation. Um, they're also doing amazing things with the characters. I mean, uh, I've said this before, you know, that I really like Anakin now. There's all those sorts of things. So it's worth a look. And I wouldn't get... It's not too continuity-heavy, so um, it's one of those shows which they're intending to uh, allow you to just jump on if you need to. But I I really so, um, would strongly suggest not to start with the movie. No, get, I would just um, get some uh, ideas from people about what the best... I might do a post about it, actually. Just some, yeah, jump, some jump on spots, like some ideas for story arcs, because you really only need to re watch a story arc. You don't need... You know, you don't want to jump in at part two or three, but if you see yeah. a whole story arc, you're fine. And there's some, been some really great ones. There were some amazing ones in season two. Season three got off to a shaky start, but uh, from about the halfway point on, it was pretty amazing. So things like the one with Darth Maul, brother and all that sort of stuff are pretty great. I've seen the one where Jar Jar had to pose as a Jedi. And, <laughs> yeah. and so, I've seen the one where the uh, the three clone troopers uh, had to save the day. Uh, I think those are the only ones I've seen. Yeah, the clone trooper one's pretty good. The uh, Jar Jar one's not great. But um, 
so you mentioned, I mean, you're not a big, you're not as much of a Star Wars fan as, as we saw on the site this week, a Star Trek fan. Is that correct? I'm a huge Star Trek <laughs> fan, and I cannot wait for the Blu-rays for the uh, Star Trek uh, Next Generation. I'm looking forward to them. They actually, what they had to do, because apparently all of the, all the people were shot on film, but none of the effects were shot on film. They were shot and then composited in through, onto the video uh, before it went to air. You actually can't upconvert that footage. So what they've had to do is they've had to go back to the film, recut it so that it was uh, uh, into the, you know, in the same format, and then put in new effects. So all of the effects are are new updated effects, uh, and that's the yeah, only wow. way they could upconvert it. And they did a, so, um, a remastered version of the original series, didn't they? Was that on Blu-ray? Uh, yeah, but that was all shot onto film. But didn't so that they have could, uh, new effects? Uh, yeah, they updated, uh, they updated a lot of that, but uh, they didn't necessarily need to. For next gen, they had to. And so for a long time, nobody thought it was going to happen. But uh, uh, it's coming out next year. And then I read that next year is the 25th anniversary of Star Trek Next Generation. And that made me feel really old. (laughs) Uh, Which shouldn't happen because I'm only 33. (laughs) I'm sure um, I'll mess this up. But Jacinta was saying the other night that uh, Doctor Who can't be on Blu-ray, like the Tenant ones, because they don't have it in a version where they're able to upscale it. I believe that's correct, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to make a lot of female Doctor Who fans cry. Well, they can just go buy Fright Night. Oh, yeah. Because well, yeah. that's got Tenant without a shirt on, and, and a nobody sna- saw it. So. And a snail trail. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. We should get that sometime. Well, what if... <laughs> it's on at the movies. We can go see it tonight. I want to see Lion King tonight. Lion King in 3D! I'm so excited for that as a side. Yeah, the, the Blu-ray for that comes out uh, this week, at least here in the US. No, it's, um, it's the same here, actually. Um, I'm, I only know this because um, I had to order it for my library. And it's, yeah, it's going to due to arrive next week. I have to uh, admit, that's one I may buy. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Circle of life, friends. Yep. Well, it's it's just Hamlet. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's just one of the better ones. Just it, it just really straight is. Out. And you really didn't know that until you got a couple of years away from the point and looked back. You know, and after things like you know Pocahontas and Milan and stuff, it's just it really jumps out as being such a, a incredibly tight piece of design and film work. It's all right. Um, just while we're wrapping up TV, though, Suzanne, tell us, tell Mike what we've been watching that he's not that he's not interested in. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, we've been simultaneously watching the current US top model All Star season, uh, whilst also watching the most recent uh, Britain and Ireland next top model. And um, it's it's been enlightening. <laughs> There's a huge difference <laughs> in terms okay. of like tone and character and everything like that like for the a show that has the exact same format it couldn't be more different could it it really is it's amazing like just what's jumping out at me first off is that during the britain and ireland top model auditions the early 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 ones um they were talking to a girl who for whatever reason was coming across as extremely obnoxious and um once they sent her out of the room they kind of turned to each other and went but do we really want someone who's just so horrible to work with and this is the thought that occurs to me every single time I watch the US top model and they've obviously intentionally thrown in a couple of girls to rock the boat intentionally kind of 
you know, overly dramatic, you know, really kind of difficult, you know, women to work with. And um, just it amazes me because, you know, like, well, it doesn't, no one's going to want to work with this woman regardless of how how wonderful she is. She's just an absolute nightmare. And they actually acknowledge that in the Britain one, which I've never seen before. Well, I mean, this is the all-star one, the American one. So they've actually chosen all of the most obnoxious personalities from the, you know, the entire history and have them all basically together trying to murder each other. Um, Jess's recaps have been right on the money. They're just horrendous. <laughs> but, I mean, it's one of those. We watched a lot of Kitchen Nightmares recently. I mean, Hell's Kitchen recently as well. And um, it's just one of those things, like, about American reality TV and how America does it so much better than the rest of the world because the all the participants really have this killer instinct. Like, no matter what show you're watching, they're talking to the camera with the most confidence as if they were, you know, born in front of a camera. Just talking about how amazing they are and how they're going to beat all these other bitches and they're hooting and hollering and uh, (laughs) just all full of like this just complete confidence. I will trample over everybody if it means that I win. Um, I'm going to do this for my family and if I have to, you know, murder these bitches, I will. Um, Whereas anyone's trying to do this on Australian TV and the Australian participants are just so passive. Like they they won't big note themselves. They won't, um, they just won't get into the spirit of it. They're just like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It'd, it'd be nice to win. <laughs> um, so it's so different. And uh, the British, um, you know, the British one, they have their little blowouts occasionally, but uh, you really see that difference. They're, um, they actually generally like each other, um, talk to each other, converse to each other. There's this sort of nice feeling as opposed to this screeching, high-fiving, I'm better than all damn bitches thing that's happening on the other shows. Some of that, I think, the U.S., A, we know, the schadenfreude may be a German word, but the Americans seem to have perfected it uh, (laughs) because we love to watch train wrecks. Just complete and utter blow-ups. It's drama is insane. I hate reality TV. (laughs) I, I watch Mythbusters, and that's about as far as I get into it. Well, I hear you because uh, I'm not suggesting that it's it's something that it's really about the people. It's about the story that the producers want to tell. And that's the true. story that they know is going to... Because if you actually go back to Top Model, I don't know if you remember, Suzanne, I remember watching the first seasons. Mm. It was very tame and restrained. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was actually about modelling. It wasn't about... Um, it wasn't about, you know... Put punching them... each other in the ovaries. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Or, like, you know, the ability to, you know, pose underwater or on stilts or, you know, anything else stupid that they you know, come And, you know, and Tyra with. would sit there and kind of talk to them and um, be sort of like a, a human being, whereas now it's just this completely over the top. And she's frightening, Mike. <laughs> Like, Jess hasn't photoshopped that picture on the site. That is what she looks like these days. She's just getting, you know, as she's getting older, she's getting crazier. And she, she's turning she into kind of a... kind of like a scary Muppet to begin with. For me, she looks like Worf from uh, Star Trek, <laughs> talking about that. I think she's slowly turning into a um, Klingon. Whereas we've been watching the, the British ones actually hosted by Australian um, Elle McPherson. And ah, uh, yes. she's incredibly tall and has huge amount of hair and actually is looking like a Wookiee. So we've got that whole Star Wars, Star Trek thing happening there. I might do some comparison pictures and put them on the uh, 
put them on the site because um, it is really quite breathtaking. But uh, Jess is, uh, I don't know if you're reading the recaps, but she's um, doing it so that you don't have to watch them. And I would recommend uh, reading them because they're a pretty uh, great um, selection of what is wrong <laughs> with that show. And also, um, it's definitely worth reading the Project Runway ones as well because they're, again, you don't have to be watching the show <laughs> to enjoy them. And it's it's just fantastic stuff. And I, I love her illustration style. It's just so um, so kind of naive and wonderful. <laughs> okay, so um, look, the other big thing that's happening on the site, um, and I love the way Jacinta described it. I might actually uh, just read that quickly to you, everybody. Is our Rocktober? She says previously the domain of cheesy commercial radio stations, and at home amongst the movie ticket giveaways and icy cold cans of Coke, Rocktober is back as a savior to the masses. So. <laughs> This October, we will be, um, among all our normal uh, routine, we will be uh, looking at music and all different types of music and uh, what we like, what inspires us, and sharing some of that uh, with each other and and with the readers. We need some Um, echo for when we say Rocktober. Rocktober! Rocktober! Tober, Tober, (laughs) Tober. So, and you, uh, we were talking about this just before we started recording. You went and saw uh, two of my favorites uh, last week, was it? Yes, last Thursday. I went and saw Jonathan Colton open for They Might Be Giants, and it was fantastic. That is just Uh, an absolute OD of nerdism. Oh, and it it really is. That's like a beer can balancing on a tit. (laughs) Oh, and it gets better. Uh, I'm I'm actually in this... Thing that I'm not really supposed to talk about, so I won't. Uh, but it's a They Might Be Giants related thing. And because of it, when I got home from work the following day, so last Friday, I had records sitting in front of my ha- apartment door. I have uh, the new Join Us C- uh, CD on vinyl. Wow. As well as a uh, uh, a record of uh, uh, some uh, big band arrangements of things like Particle Man, uh, which they sell at the concerts, and it's fantastic. Uh, That's so I've got cool. my, my record player hooked up, and, and I've already listened to it a few times, and it's awesome. Uh, but yeah, the concert was great. Uh, Jonathan Colton came out and started off with uh, Mr. Fancy Pants. Uh, <laughs> And he said that, at the end of it, he said that uh, the band had been messing with it because some of his uh, drop-ins were missing, and a couple of them had been changed. So I guess that's one of the things they do on the road to each other. In the They Might Be Giant show, they actually, and I'm spacing what song it was, but it's I've seen them probably half a dozen times in concert, and I have never seen them stop a song. And uh, John Linnell got up there, and he's singing, and forgot the words, and had to stop the, and restart. I'm trying to remember. It was, uh, oh, well, let's I don't face remember. It, he's not a spring chicken anymore. Well, that's uh, true. They and th- they were a, doing a big back catalog there. <laughs> there was another one they were doing uh, from their state song, uh, or from no, it was from the venue songs, uh, the one for California. He they couldn't remember what key it was in, so they spent like two minutes trying to figure out what key it was in before they started the song. So it was an interesting concert. It was definitely a lot more <laughs> loose than they usually are, but. Uh, Sadly, no horn section. I've seen them with a horn section, and that's awesome. I've seen them uh, three times, um, and certainly the last show that I saw, I'm trying to think what album that corresponded with. The one Probably with Cy- the Else? The one with Cyclops Rock. Oh. Is that Mint Car? Probably, yes. Yeah, I think it was uh, Mint Car. It was a while ago. They haven't been here for a while. But yeah, that show was even just a huge jump in production values compared to the show before. They played in quite a small venue the, the first time I saw them. And um, it was a much bigger show and they had all their uh, 
crazy stuff happening. They played, um, opened with um, James K. Polk. Ah, I love that song. And it had the um, sort of explosion as it built up and all the confetti rained down from yep. The, yep. the ceiling and everything. And that was very cool. I actually, um, the first time they were here, I was walking through the city and there was this guy walking towards me and I wasn't actually looking. I was in this little arcade. It was very deserted. And he was wearing a Ramones t-shirt. And I didn't even look at the guy. I was just looking at the t-shirt and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, this was about 90 five or six or something and um i was just sort of being introduced to like punk and and pop punk and then i looked up and it was john um linnell and i only realized as he sort of walked past me and they were about to see them the next night so um i actually turned around and followed him back and he was looking in this antique store window and i went oh you you're john linnell and he looked up at me and he looked like a, a deer in the headlights. He looked so just terrified um, and so uncomfortable. <laughs> and I was, I, and I, and I said, you know, I'm a really big fan and I'm wearing a um, no effects t-shirt at the time. Uh, so I don't think he believed me at all. <laughs> and I like offered my hand and he shook it very, very timidly and then just turned and fled. <laughs> they're they're kind of, especially him, seems to be kind of a skittish kind of guy. They, I think they both are kind of the guys that would rather sit at home and, you know, make the music and then go perform the music, but then not really talk to other people about the music. But Flansburg uh, they, they were... strikes me as the opposite. I mean, he seems so um, jovial and kind of friendly i ended up i was like sort of i was doing film at uni and, and was sort of an amateur video enthusiast and um they did a little free concert um at this great uh, music store that we have it's a two-level music store they were up on the top level and um, i got to talk to their management and i got to film the concert and nice. i was up at the front and this was the next day and i've got the tape somewhere but i don't have it in a version that i can actually convert i would need to get hold of an old video camera and flansberg was great he would like sing certain songs songs and bits and pieces right down the lens and was really interacting and it was really cool but um Linnell just still kept giving me these shifty looks he really doesn't like me <laughs> well you're unlikable so That's I can very understand true. that I mean <laughs> you were but pretty no. skinny and blonde and strange looking at that stage though let's be fair I'm not, he was um, blonde not anymore <laughs> well it's far before my time I'm like in primary school uh, I was occasionally blonde wow and I had more fun <laughs> Yeah, but the the new Jonathan Colton CD, the Artificial Heart, which I actually have a a physical copy of because he had them for sale at the uh, show, and mine is even signed, uh, has some great stuff on it. I have uh, not heard it yet. It's excellent, and I highly recommend it. The last song is called The Stash. I actually linked it in that mustaches post that I put on the other day that I just couldn't help myself. I am um, I'm just looking at it on I looking for it on iTunes now and seeing if it is available for me to buy. Yes, it, it is. not always is, and it is. Hooray! Do it. Woohoo! So I will do that. If you're Ooh, if Suzanne you're looking Vegas at that song. while you're at it, there's uh, the new Marion Call CD came out today too. Uh, at least for download, the physical copies um, mine should be in the mail, but uh, it's fantastic. I really highly highly recommend it. Sweet. No big fans of uh, Jonathan Colton, and um, yeah, look, Rocktober's going to be great. We'll uh, alter out some. I just threw out my um, top seven favorite off the top of my head. Uh, fictional bands on the site. So there's um, lots of different ways for us to approach this over the month. There's a sad, sad lack of uh, crucial taunt in the um, in the seven favourite fictional bands, which is um, a sad thing. And I'm sure, you know, those who have watched Wayne's World will be familiar with Tia Carrere's band, and I kind of wish they were in there, but no. There's one band that's uh, noticeably missing, but I'm going to do a special thing about them uh, later on. But they are probably my favourite fictional band. Suspense. 
So you're not going to tell us, huh? Well, he hasn't um, told me. <laughs> ah, I had no idea. I'll give you a clue. If you like um, elephants playing keyboards while wearing, um, ah, gotcha. Yeah. I'm with you. I, s- I still have no idea. While wearing an adult diaper, then uh, Baba. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, that's my favorite band. Suzanne. I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll, I'll be as enlightened as the next person when you choose Singers to actually put with, with that big up. juicy lips um, and no top. Um, a guy that's kind of droopy, but he's still cool. Is this like freaking Steve Tyler or something? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we have this on. Oh, I'm glad we have this recorded. Uh, you've got an elephant playing keyboard, a droopy Mick Cool guy. You've got a, a topless woman with big lips, and you still don't know. Um, hang on, I thought she had like six boobs. That's the dancer. Oh, okay, right. Okay, I do sort of know what we're talking about now. Okay, she's caught up. Woo! <laughs> Max so is disaster band. area on your? Uh... Oh, that doesn't. Oh, that should that really count? I mean, they're a band. Really? Yeah. Mm. But They've toured. Yeah, but their song changed. Yeah, well, know, doesn't I'll, that kind of make Well, them... that is, makes for an interesting article. Okay, sure. You guys will love it. <laughs> disaster area on your seven fictional bands? Huh? Is disaster, disaster area on your seven six? No, what's what's disaster area? From uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, the loudest band in the universe. No, ah. no, I, I had to. I did all stuff which have YouTube clips where you can actually, you know, oh, I see, see them now. See yes. the song, yeah. But what about look? The one that surprised me, and it, it wasn't something on my radar, but once I saw it, I thought, you know, I have to show this. Was um the Evolution Revolution, which is um from Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp, and you know, <laughs> we're talking about 1971, 72. We've got a whole band full of chimpanzees in costumes, uh, just rocking out. It's incredible. And would have been just an absolute nightmare to film, I imagine. Oh, yeah, imagine what would have been flicked at you. Monkeys get mean. (laughs) Chimpanzees are nasty. They're really horrible creatures. They have to have, you know, people, zookeepers in zoos are happier to work with rhinos and ostriches than they are chimpanzees. And you give a chimpanzee a guitar, he doesn't give a shit. All he wants to do is masturbate. Well, that sounds like most guitarists I know. (laughs) That's all they're interested in. (laughs) Well. It comes part and part with the whole urge to rock, I think. <laughs> so on that um, classy note, yes. <laughs> anything else, guys, anything else that's uh, pressing firmly against you before we uh, finish up here? I think I am good. You are spent? I am spent. Mike? I have exhausted my exhausted my topics. I've exhausted my knowledge of everything. Yes. That's all I know. I'm a blank slate now. All right. Well, look, thank you very much for having this nice uh, little informal chat, um, everybody. Yes. And um, we will be back soon. So make sure that you are on Fruitless Pursuits. Uh, if there's anything that you think we should be covering, you want to show us, you want to send us, uh, email us at contact at fruitlesspursuits.com. Uh, we'll, I say we always get back to you. We won't always get back to you, but... Uh, we usually will. We'll try. Um, I'm oh, appreciate, one last thing we should, we, we should say. Uh, one of our own has a Kickstarter project going. Ah, yes, absolutely. So... Uh, Jay Tagmile, who is uh, one of the backbones of the site. And a, and an upstanding gentleman. And he's usually on the podcast. Um, he launched a Kickstarter. Hooray! Which is all, which is all very exciting. And it's for his uh, game, um, which is... Because Jay uh, is a brilliant creator of um, card games and all sorts of uh, board games and things like that. And video games, actually. I can't wait for that Pixel Link and I might buy a DS just for it. So, yeah, uh, his game's called Famous Missions, which is a fast and fun creative 
competitive multiplayer card game. Uh, this is the one where um, you get to draw randomly like the famous people. Uh, like the example here is um, Gene Simmons, Mr. T and Albert Einstein. And then you have a mission and you have to um, argue like uh, why these three people would be best for um, the, the team. Uh, it's something we would we should play live on the podcast. Uh, Absolutely, maybe uh, we can sort that out with Jay for next week. But yeah, look, the Kickstarter still has twenty three days to go, so you have plenty of time to throw in some money. Uh, you'll find the link to it on our site, or search for famous missions on Kickstarter, or search for famous missions on our site. But um, I think Jay will be doing an update on that soon. Anyway, so um, please go and support him because he is a stand up man with a magnificent beard and it's a great game yeah it it, it's uh family friendly it promotes creativity that's all good stuff you know it's something you could play if you've got kids play with the kids it it just looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun and you'll get to spend a frustrating 15 minutes explaining to your kids who mr t is just say i pity the fool I pity the fool who doesn't contribute to j tag myers kickstarter uh thank you everybody Uh, It's been great, and um, we will see you on the interwebs. See you. Bye, everybody. Bye.